Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi, everyone. It's Rena Jadhav here, founder of Health Bootcamps host of the Healthier Podcast coming to you today, both via video as well as a podcast. So if you are listening to this on iTunes or on SoundCloud, please note there's a video to go with it. Just check us out on healthbootcamps.com or of course our YouTube channel, Health Bootcamps, and you can check out the video. All right, let's get started. So some of you who follow my journey know that I've suffered from all kinds of hormonal issues, including menopause a couple of years ago, which of course threw me into the throes of hot flashes and night sweats and hair loss and wrinkles and insomnia and mood swings. And of course, it's a very, very long list. And so I've always been very, very interested in understanding what can we do naturally to treat ourselves because women suffer significantly in this nation and the cost is huge. So today, I have the most amazing genius amongst us, Dr. Mesh Seibel. Dr. Mesh, welcome. Mean it's so nice to join you. So let me give you all a little background on how amazing Dr. Mesh is. He is an international health expert and a leading authority on women's wellness and menopause. In fact, for over 20 years, he's been on the Harvard Medical School faculty. He has written over 15 books, 200 scientific articles, and has received so many awards, including the Gates Foundation, Grand Challenges Exploration, the 2013 Media Award. He's also the founder of the Hot Ears My Menopause magazine. He's been a host for PBS and various other television shows. He's been repeatedly voted one of the best doctors in America. So with that said, I welcome you, Dr. Mesh. I'm really excited to talk today about your book, The Estrogen Fix. So what a great book. So The Estrogen Fix, The Breakthrough Guide to Being Healthy, Energized, and Hormonally Balanced. Let's get started with the first question, which is, Mm -hmm. Dr. Mesh, why did you write this book? I'm glad you asked me that question, Rena, because this book was, to me, a very personal experience because in the beginning of my medical career, I was actually a top expert in infertility. I did some of the first in vitro fertilizations in the United States. But what happened was around 2002, there was a study called the Women's Health Initiative which I'm going to talk about with you in a few minutes. But it caused women to be very afraid of hormones because of some misunderstandings in reporting on that study. And what happened was only seven months after that study came out, my wife had surgery that threw her into early menopause. And because it was so close to the Women's Health Initiative, none of her doctors were really comfortable treating her or keeping her on hormone therapy. Mm. And so, as I say, I had to figure it out so she wouldn't have to tough it out. Chapter one, which is estrogen behind the headlines. What is the essence of this chapter? What do we need to know about estrogen that the headlines are not covering today? The main thing that is important for women to understand is one of the most singularly important studies on women's health and particularly for menopausal women was this so-called women's health initiative or the WHI. 
And this study was well intended, and unfortunately, they got it all wrong. And I'll explain to you why just very simply. And the reason is as follows. In this study of thousands and thousands and thousands of women, instead of comparing women of the same ages, the women who got hormones in this study were in their 60s and 70s. And the women who got a placebo were in their 50s. Wow. And so what happened is when the study was done, they compared women in their 60s and 70s taking hormones with women who were in their 50s taking a, a placebo or a sugar pill. And they attributed the fact that the women who were taking the hormones had more problems exclusively to the fact that they were taking hormones. They did not factor in age as a variable, and not only age, but how many years they had been in menopause. And what we'll talk about, which will pop up repeatedly in different chapters, is the fact that when these same data, the same exact data were reanalyzed, the women in their 50s and 60s, there were still a few of them that were in their 50s that got the hormones. And when they compared the women who were in their 50s who got hormones to the women in their 50s that didn't, the problems went away. And as we'll talk about, depending on which organ system, whether we're talking about the brain or the breast or the, the bladder or so forth, what we're going to talk about is you'll see that in some instances, the women who received hormones actually had fewer complications, fewer risks than the women who took nothing. And so this has caused, as a result, over 80% of the women who were taking hormones to throw them away and stop taking them. And what that has done is two things. It has caused women for a generation to do without hormone therapy and suffer the symptoms of menopause without feeling they had a treatment option. And the second thing that it's done is because there were so many fewer women on hormones there are today than there were in 2002. There's 80% fewer women today taking hormones today than in 2002. And because of that, the doctors in training over the last almost 20 years have no patients to learn from and to, to have experience treating menopause. So we have a self-perpetuating cycle mm. in which the doctors aren't comfortable the patients aren't comfortable. You put two uncomfortable people together and they end up not getting treated optimally. Exactly. And that is a big issue for women and the impact on women's health, on the quality of life, on the quality of their work, on the quality of their relationship has been immense and it has been in a negative, uh, had a negative impact. And so you firmly believe that doing hormone therapy does not create negative consequences that outweigh the benefits of not doing hormone therapy. Let me state it slightly differently. Okay. For the majority of women, that's true. There are always going to be some people who are poor candidates for any medication, and that includes hormone therapy. Maybe you already have breast cancer. Maybe you have a certain liver condition. Maybe you have a bleeding disorder, et cetera. There may be these circumstances. But overwhelmingly, if they start it near the time of menopause, which I call the estrogen window, this critical window of opportunity, if they do that, then the benefits far outweigh the risk. And it's not just my opinion. 
This has now been proven over and over by looking at the exact same data, but analyzing it with, with a consistency of age instead of these two disparate groups. You know, Dr. Mesh, here's the challenge we face today. There is so much misinformation out there that once someone has formed an opinion, and I know this because I'm surrounded with people who've shared their opinions with me, including my own mom. Right. No, it's bad. And whatever information's coming out now is incorrect. How do we convince the women out there that are listening to us right now? And they have that still that niggling doubt. Right. That should I be believing this? What can you share to help them get over that hump of distrust that no hormone therapy is going to kill me? Because that's literally what my mom said. Well, if I want to die early, sure, I'll take hormone therapy. But, you know, I want to live a long life. So I don't want to do hormone therapy. Well, if you really want to do if live a long life, take the hormone therapy. Because the study came out just in the last six months showed that when they looked at the women who had taken hormone therapy, any kind of hormone therapy, even mm -hmm. the ones that took it later with the problems, it's everything. The women who ever had hormone therapy lived longer than the women who never took hormone therapy if the women took hormone therapy for 10 years or longer. If they took it for five years, it was no difference. If they took it for 10 years or longer, it was about a 40%, uh, there was a increment of, uh, of a number of years difference. And if they took it for over 10 years, it was even a greater increment of living longer. But to answer your question, I realize that once a, something becomes emotional and becomes a fear, it's no longer an intelligence issue. It's right. an emotional issue. It's like some people don't like vanilla or strawberry, chocolate. You can't tell them that. Yes. You can't tell them it's good. But what I have learned from talking about this all around the country I've, on my book tour and other experiences as I've spoken about hormone therapy all around the country, there's always a handful of women in every audience that are in their 70s or even older. And I ask them, you know, why are you here? Because mm -hmm. you're sort of past the window when people think about hormone therapy. Why are you here? Mm -hmm. And they will say always, I'm here because I had such a good experience taking hormone therapy. I wouldn't give it up when all that scare came out. And my daughter won't take it. Mm. And I want to make sure I'm not doing anything wrong by encouraging her to take it. So moms are still trying to help their daughters in their 50s. You know, they're still trying to be the mother that cares and is getting information to give motherly advice. And the thing about it is that's so challenging. When you're about to go into puberty, moms have that talk. Yes. When you're about to get pregnant or have a baby, moms have that talk. But when you're about to go into menopause, moms don't have that talk. There's no connection between the older generation and the, current, the currently going through generation to convey that motherly wisdom. And in this last generation, the cycle has been completely upended because of the poor interpretation of a study that was designed with a flaw that ruined everything in terms of accurate information. One more fear that comes up is cancer and hormones. Right. What information can you share? What research can you share to dispel the myth that hormones cause cancer? Or maybe it's not a myth. Can you shed a little more light on that? So let me answer your question briefly because I'm going to be talking about it more as we move through the various chapters. But in a nutshell, 
people, women are worried about breast cancer. I mean, let's face it. If you talk about what's the one thing that women worry about the most, everyone's got a pink ribbon and they're marching, you know, in the different things. Well, the issue is this. For women who take, and this will come up in a few minutes when we talk about in the next chapter how to take estrogen and so forth, but some women are taking, women who have a uterus have to take both estrogen and some type of progesterone because that protects the uterine lining. Women who don't have a uterus, who've had a hysterectomy, don't have to have progesterone. They only need to take estrogen. And this is a very big part of some of the other confusion. But the women who take estrogen and progesterone, the risk of breast cancer in that instance is about the same as the risk of being overweight, about the risk of having dense breasts naturally. So it's about one in a thousand. That's the risk with estrogen and progesterone. For women who don't have a uterus and who take estrogen only, this assumes they started in the estrogen window close to the time of menopause, the risk of breast cancer is 23% lower than the women who take nothing. Wow. 23% less risk of cancer of the breast if you take estrogen only than if you take placebo. Got it. So, it's actually safer to take estrogen and only basically the same to take estrogen and progesterone, not really an increase or a decrease. All right, let's get to chapter two, estrogen and you. What's the essence of that chapter? Well, the essence of that chapter, estrogen and you, is really to say that, you know, when we think about women, what do we think about? I mean, I asked my mother this, who's 93, And she said, well, girls are sugar and spice and everything nice. (laughs) And so I said, well, that's that's exactly right. And I said, if I were adding to it, I would say, and a splash of estrogen. Ah. Because, Because when you think about it, every major event for women involves estrogen. It's true. When you go through puberty, your estrogen is going from baseline up to in an erratic way, but it's going up towards your reproductive levels. Mm -hmm. And then with that estrogen comes your curvy hips, it comes your breast development, it changes your brain, you start thinking about boys, and you start thinking about sexual things that come to mind. And all these things are going on because of these hormonal changes. Now, it's not only estrogen, but it's primarily estrogen. When you go through your reproductive years, you're having a menstrual cycle. So you're having hormones that's every 28 days or 30 days or so are going through a cyclic change. And during those times, you're having the lining of your uterus built up, ready to receive a fertilized egg. And if you don't get pregnant, well, you have a shedding of the lining, you have a period, you start all over again. And when you go from your transition from reproduction into perimenopause, that window of time that precedes menopause, it could be up to 10 years in length. When you're going through that time frame, once again, we're talking about the same hormonal changes that were happening in puberty, only they're happening backwards. Mm. So as Ginger Rogers said to Fred Astaire, I had to do everything you had to do, only in high heels and backwards. (laughs) 
<laughs> so the same hormonal things were going on uh, for women backwards. And then when you get to menopause, now you have those hormones back down to prepubertal levels, again, uh, at a very baseline. So you have this life cycle of change in hormones. So this is kind of, estrogen is, is, is totally tied to women, their very being, their essence, their thinking, their bodies, everything about them. And so it's an integral part of a woman's life. All right, let's get to chapter three, which is the estrogen fix, choosing the right hormone therapy for you. That's a good one, Dr. Mesh. How do we go about choosing the right hormone therapy for ourselves? It's always good to work with somebody who knows what the choices are because there's a lot of estrogens out there. But as I began uh, speaking about in the initial comments, women decide to take estrogen in brush strokes based on whether or not they have a uterus or they don't, which estrogen is the right one. And so women who have a uterus, and this is very important, require both estrogen plus some form of progesterone. And what that does is it protects the uterine lining from developing precancerous changes. And if you take both, you don't have to worry about that. So you can't take estrogen only if you have a uterus. You can take estrogen, progesterone, it's all safe, it's all good. Then if you don't have a uterus, you've had a hysterectomy, you only need estrogen. Then comes many other choices because estrogen comes as pills, estrogen comes as patches, estrogen comes as gels, estrogen comes as sprays, estrogen comes as pellets under the skin, in rings that go in the vagina, in creams that go on the skin and in the, or in the vagina. So there's all these ways to take it. In general, if women take lower dosages, it's always the safest, kind of start the lowest. And if women uh, use topical estrogens, meaning on the skin, then it tends to lower the risk of any blood clots or side effects or complications. But every woman is individualized based on her medical past, based on her personal preferences, and based on her beliefs or thoughts about what would work best for her lifestyle. Like maybe she takes a pill because every night it's by the sink and she knows to take it. So some women who have been taking, say, birth control pills forever, it's just normal to take a pill. Mm -hmm. Other people don't want a pill. Do you want a period or you don't want to have a period? Because you can take hormone therapy so you never have a period or so that you have a cycling of a period every month or however it's determined you want to have it. So all of these things go into a discussion, go into the decision hat, you shake it up, and then you choose the one that works best for you. You know, I'm going to share my own experience at this point. So as some of you who've been either uh, familiar with my work or read some of my articles know that I was very sick, then I had menopause and had to experience it all sort of at the same time. And of course, one of the things that I heard over and over again was how birth control pills really negatively impacted the gut. In fact, I had one uh, integrative doctors say to me, I cannot heal you if you don't stop taking the pill. And at that point, I had been uh, put on the pill by a doctor about six, seven years ago because um, I was starting to have erratic periods, probably because I was on in perimenopause. I had ovarian cysts that had burst and I had all kinds of wonderful, painful drama. With that said, uh, Dr. Mesh, 
you know, I then did a ton more research to find out if that was true, that if being on the pill could impact the gut negatively, and there is some research to that effect. And so I switched out of ingesting things that would impact my gut and of course the liver and um, looked at applications that were more topical in nature and specifically that were perhaps just, you know, vaginal insertions as an example. Could you share just a little bit more around what is your uh, research share in terms of pill versus lotions and potions and patches? Sure. A couple of things about this. Uh, Again, some of it has to do with preference, but when we talk about what's the medical input to it, I will give you the mirror image to what you were talking about in terms of estrogen and the gut. And that is that not only does taking the pill potentially affect the gut, and don't forget the birth control pill is a much higher dose than most of the hormones that women take in menopause. It's a higher dose and those are more synthetic and they have a totally different chemical structure than what is often taken for menopause. So, so let me begin with that. The second thing is, is that, but your gut also, the bacteria in your intestines also affects what happens to those hormones. Yes. In other words, what's really amazing is that if you have kind of a, a intestinal tract bacteria that aren't healthy, you've been eating a lot of fast foods, a lot of sugars, a lot of white flour, a lot of things that you may have some allergic potential to. Maybe it's corn, maybe it's wheat, maybe it's milk, maybe it's soy, whatever it is that made you allergic that you may have a mild allergy to. That changes the bacterial composition, just like in your swimming pool, when the, you see the algae and it gets too alkaline and things change and you have all of a sudden a pool that's got the green stuff in it. Yes. So what happens is when estrogen comes into the intestinal tract, it's not metabolized the same way. And so it impacts the levels of hormones that your body is exposed to. You take the same dose, but what comes through your intestinal tract, particularly if it's oral estrogen, is going to be a completely different dose, I mean a different you know, amount of metabolized estrogen than if you had a healthy bacterial flora. You would have a much better digestion because the bacteria, in which there are about three pounds of bacteria, there's, there's about 10 times the amount of DNA in, in living organisms in there uh, intestinal tract than there is in all the cells of your body. So those cells are not are actively digesting the, the foods and the pills that we take. And so the healthier your intestinal tract in the beginning, the better. Having said that, when you ingest the pill in general, it goes through your esophagus into your stomach and then it goes into what's called the enterohepatic circulation. So what happens is it's that it goes into your liver and the liver then is metabolizing it and responding to the estrogen. So all of a sudden you've got this huge concentration of, of estrogen in your liver. That starts to create clotting factors. That starts to create high levels of cholesterol and LDL cholesterol. Does things that are that have some more negative impacts. Impact. So as a consequence of that, that's called the first pass because it's going through and it's the first time through the liver. The reason for the reason that estrogen, oral estrogen, in higher dosages 
have been shown to have a little bit increased risk of blood clots is because these increased clotting factors are manufactured by the liver. But if you take it through the skin or the vagina, then what happens is it bypasses the liver and you don't get that first pass effect. You don't get that increased blood clot. So I hope I'm not overstating it here, but the point I'm trying to make is, is that it's healthier in general to take the lowest dose orally or mm -hmm. to use it through the skin or vaginally. Perfect. Thank you so much for clarifying that because I know for a fact when you go to gynecologists, they don't go into this much depth. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. All right, chapter four, the estrogen fix and your breasts. Let's talk about that. Breast cancer is on the rise. It significantly impacts women. We've had some very famous personalities bring it even further more to the top of the media news conversation. Tell us a little bit about the connection and, and what can we do to, to protect our breasts? The most important thing to realize, of course, estrogen affects the breast because as we talked about earlier, breast development, you go from basically looking like a boy's chest to being a voluptuous woman because of estrogen. So estrogen is causing breast development. The, the lobules and the glands of the breast are all developing. And that's all a result of, hormone, of hormones. But if you want to take estrogen and take it safely, this, the way to do that and accomplish that, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, is to take it close to, start taking it, close to the time of menopause. This is called the estrogen window. And I call it the estrogen window. And what, as a result of doing that, you don't have the break in constant exposure of the breast to estrogen. And if you take estrogen only, you lower your risk of breast cancer by taking estrogen. If you take estrogen and progesterone together, which is necessary if you have a uterus, then the risk is minimal, if any, and basically a kind of a no difference. The other, uh, the other thing to think about, of course, is women, what do women do who have had breast cancer? Mm -hmm. This is a very complicated thing, and I won't go into what's controversial here. I want to keep it very simple. So what I want to say is there are two forms of estrogen in terms of generally. There's the estrogen that goes to your whole body, and there's the estrogen that goes into the vagina locally. Estrogen that goes into the vagina locally can be taken even if you have estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. Mm. This is very important. One of the biggest complaints right now that I see for women with breast cancer is they are struggling with vaginal dryness, with painful sex, and they are really in a bad place with this very important part of intimacy. Many times women have lost their breasts. Mm -hmm. They don't feel as pretty, perhaps, some of the time. They want to be able to feel close, and intimacy is a very important part of that. And if you then take away any pleasure with sex because of lack of estrogen, that's a real shame. And this opinion piece that came out from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists about a year and a half ago looked at all the studies of people who have uh, vaginal estrogen, local estrogen, and they found that taking estrogen, if nothing else is working, and you can't use alternative products that can get moisture to the vagina, if nothing else is working, taking 
local estrogen does not increase either the risk of death or recurrence in women with estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. That's very, very, very important. Okay. There's another point I want to make about breast cancer. I see a lot of patients that have the so-called breast cancer gene, the BRCA or breast cancer gene. These women are often going to have to have their breasts removed, and they're often going to have their ovaries and tubes removed at around age 35. This is done because they want to lower their risk of breast cancer or ovarian cancer, which is overrepresented quite a bit in women with the BRCA gene depending on if you have BRCA1 or BRCA2. What has been found more recently, and when I talk about this in my book and what to do and how to go about it, is that if you have the BRCA gene and you have your ovaries removed, the data suggests that taking hormone replacement therapy does not increase your risk of breast cancer any more than it was without having the BRCA gene. In other words, it's just whatever, whatever issue BRCA brings to the table doesn't change because you give, take estrogen. It doesn't increase your risk of breast cancer any more than just having the gene. So um, that's very important because women really need to know that they are not going to be thrown into menopause at age 35 or 38 or whatever age it is. Usually it's 40 or below. And that, of course, is early menopause. And it's important to realize that about 5 to 10% of women go into menopause before 45, and about 1 in 100 women go into menopause before age 40, and about 1 in 1,000 women go into menopause before age 30. Wow. So menopause is not about age. Menopause is about transition that can happen at any age get to the next chapter, chapter five, the estrogen fix and your heart. Tell us the essence about this. To what extent should we be worried about our heart? Well, we've been talking a lot about breast cancer and we haven't mentioned the heart at all. Misrepresentation of the reality because you're 10 times more likely as a woman to die of heart disease than you are of breast cancer. 10 times more likely. And here's the thing that's so important. If you are a woman who is one that I just mentioned that goes into early menopause before age 45, your risk of heart disease, and that's up to 10% of women now, your risk of, of heart disease goes up immensely. It goes up immensely because you're going to live a lot longer without estrogen. And estrogen helps prevent plaque that cholesterol, sticky cholesterol that goes in your arteries and narrows them, it helps it from sticking to the lining of the arteries and therefore lowers your risk of heart attack because estrogen is going to keep the plaque away. And so it's really important for women in terms of heart disease. Once again, with estrogen and progesterone, the risk of heart disease is minimally improved but not tremendously improved. With estrogen only, the risk of heart disease goes down by about 32%. Hmm. Now, this is something that's killing 10 times more women than breast cancer. So hormone therapy is incredibly important for lowering the risk 
of heart disease in women. And I hope that women will read this book, The Estrogen Fix, because you will walk away with such a more information. And one of my reasons for writing it is to empower you to become a partner with your healthcare provider mm -hmm. because you need to go in because you have to be prepared because your healthcare provider mm -hmm. may or may not be as prepared as would be optimal because of the very reasons I mentioned in the beginning. There's 80% fewer women for them to have experience with. Exactly. All right, chapter six, which is the estrogen fix and your brain. Now, that's a big issue, Dr. Mesh. Brain fog is, is rampant in women that are going through perimenopause or menopause. I still remember walking into a room and having no clue why I had um, just walked in here. So tell us a little bit about... At least you remember it was a problem. That's a good start. <laughs> Look, there are Very true. I didn't know it was a problem. When I forgot in the middle of speaking to my husband what exactly I was saying, yeah. we all knew it was a problem. Thank God I got rid of it. Yes, indeed. Well, look, there are, the estrogen is a very important for the brain in women. Very important. One of the things that causes the, the mood swings, the sort of uh, foggy brain and the poor areas of thinking has to do with the fact that estrogen increases the speed in which the nerves of the brain communicate with each other. So you've got basically the brain is just an enormous series of short nerves, one connecting to the next to the next, and then they spread out like this huge web, but it's all wound together in this amazing computer, like the most amazing engineering and wiring job you've ever seen in your life. The way we think or move is by one of those nerves talking to the next, goes to the next, to the next, it hits a bifurcation, it goes one, some goes that way, some goes this way, and then they talk to the next and so forth. Estrogen speeds up the, uh, the, the quickness that that happens. So it's going to help your balance, going to help your mood, it's going to help your cognition, your thinking. Where it matters a lot is in a couple of areas in particular because usually those problem areas are going to get better in about three to five years. It's going to be a window when it can be very challenging, but they may get better without taking hormone therapy. Now, here's a couple of examples where it's really important to know about. Number one, if you go into early menopause you're, and you don't take hormone therapy, your risk for dementia goes up, up to as much as 7 70 percent more. Wow. This is, a, this is a big deal. That's if huge. It's amazingly used. That's number one. Number two, if you uh, do take estrogen, and this is a report that came out just in the last few months, if you do take estrogen, your chances of getting dementia go down amazingly as long as you stay on it for a window of time and you started it in your estrogen window. So, and if you want to prevent dementia, or lower the chance of it, I can't tell anyone they can prevent it, but they can lower their chances of it significantly. You start it if you go into early menopause, at the time that you go into menopause, and you stay on it at least until 51 or so, which is the age at which you go through menopause naturally. So that's very important. The other area is that there are a lot of people, probably 30% of the population has a mental health issue. Could be depression, could be bipolar, could be anxiety, could be any of a number of conditions. When you have this, 
as an underlying problem and go through menopause, if menopause isn't treated, then your problem, your mental health problem, could become less easy to control. So this becomes very important to work with your healthcare provider. And when I see women in my practice at Beth Israel Hospital or when I do menopause coaching with women by phone or Skype, I've, a lot of it has to do with mental health issues and helping women get through this period of time because depression, anxiety is unfortunately all too common. Some of it will pass, but if you have an underlying mental health issue, not so much. Next chapter, chapter seven, which is the estrogen fix and the bones. We are all very worried about our, uh, our hollow bones, Dr. Mesh. Tell us how we can protect our bones. Well, estrogen will help you keep strong bones. It'll help you lower your risk of hip fracture. And this was a finding from the Women's Health Initiative. And it will help you remain much more strong when you age. This is incredibly important because a lot of people are worrying again about breast cancer. Mm -hmm. But if you're a healthy 50-year-old woman and you go into menopause, you're just as likely to die from breaking your hip or a complication of osteoporosis as you are dying from breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So you must protect your bones. The thing that's important, again, is this estrogen window. If you, protect, if you start taking it with a certain number of years of menopause, any bones that's lost can be built back up and you reclaim that calcium in your bones. If you don't start taking it within uh, that, that window of time, you may be able to get some of your estrogen at the point of where it is. You won't lose more, but at least you can keep it steady. So timing is everything. Prevention is incredibly important and there's no question about the benefit of estrogen on your bones. All right, let's get to the next chapter, chapter eight, which is the estrogen fix and vagina, bladder, and your skin. What's the connection there? The cells of the vagina, the bladder, and the skin, they may seem, you know, like um, they're not so related, but in fact, they are. And tied into the skin is osteoporosis. Because not only are you, do you have bones in your arms, in your legs, in your back, these little things right here are bones. Mm. What happens is when you start losing your bones, your skin starts to sag. And so your skin looking good and healthy is, going, is tied into the same issue of the osteoporosis. It makes your face switch from a pointed chin like this, and it switches it instead to an upside down a triangle, and it changes the shape of your face. And that's why you get that, that change. So osteoporosis and skin to go together, a lot of it has to do because loss of bone, but also because of loss of collagen from under the skin. And just like your bones, the skin is losing that collagen, the scaffolding under your skin that keeps it taut and stretched and looking younger. It's losing it uh, rapidly after menopause, and that's why there is a window of time. When it comes to the, uh, the bladder and the uh, Vagina, one of the common, common problems that women have is the sensitive bladder. Mm -hmm. And 
without you know without the estrogen the, the cells are lost there and what ends up happening is that there's more frequency and always peeing you know you the women always know where the next bathroom is when you start to get women towards menopause you will find you know the 40 year old woman she's going to the mall but she knows on the way to the mall where to stop and when she gets to the mall she knows which of those stores has got the bathroom right around the corner so that's just standard but estrogen helps to lower that. And I'm going to share my experience, however embarrassing it is. Um, so my husband had commented, you know, a couple of years before I actually hit menopause, how I was suddenly going to the bathroom in a lot. And I said, yeah, you're right. And in my head, it was because I was drinking a lot more water. I was hydrating. And so that's why I was going. Anyway, cut forward to, to your point, like I knew where all the bathrooms were. Cut forward to I started adding some bioidentical hormones as initially as a patch, then I reacted to the patch, and so then it's just as a lotion. And, um, and I stopped going to the bathroom a lot. And because it's a lotion, and so I've, I'm always, I minimize my dosage. And then, of course, I was traveling, and I forgot the tube at home, and so there was a whole week that I didn't apply at all. Guess what? I started going to the bathroom a lot again, and my husband commented, he's like, wait, what just happened? you had completely stopped going and now you're back to going more frequently again. And it's so true, right? There's, there is a connection with even just a slight bit of estrogen or a slight bit of bioidentical, uh, that urgency can be gone. And again, this is something that no woman ever wants to talk about. It's just so embarrassing. So that's why I'm talking about it. So we can all as a group talk about the fact that that's a huge problem. You know, knowing where every bathroom is, is a problem. It, it interferes with your quality of life. So I think the fact that estrogen can help with that means that we can all have some semblance of quality of life again for the decades more that we're going to live after we hit menopause. Well, one thing I want to just add in, uh, before we move to the next chapter is that in addition to that, when you go from being a woman that's entering menopause to a woman that's been in menopause for a long time, if you're not on hormone therapy in the vaginal area, you're going to have an increased risk of urinary tract infections. Uh, and as a result of that, you're much more likely to die from sepsis, which is what gets a lot of older women. I can tell you many stories about women who all we've done is put them on, on topical or local vaginal estrogen and cut out their continuing recurring bladder infections. And this is a big issue for the older women that I see because they don't realize what's going on. And uh, I mean, my own mother, when she moved from one place to another, she had her tube of local estrogen lost in the packing temporarily. And she got into a vaginal infection that put her in the hospital with sepsis. And then she ended up getting meningitis and all kinds of things. And that's how people can die. And this is not just her. This is like, this is goes on every day in America. But anyway, Let's move to our next chapter. Thank you for sharing that. So next chapter, chapter nine, which is the estrogen fix for a fit, energized body. Tell us the connection there. Most important part there is to realize that estrogen is an important part in terms of maintaining muscle strength, in terms of maintaining the coordination that we talked about, and just helps to maintain a, a healthy and fit you. It's going to help in terms, all the things that, here's where you start putting together the some of you and not just some of you. Because you've been working on your brain with the hormone therapy, you've been working on your muscles and helping uh, 
with it because estrogen is going to help the sugars that you eat go into your muscles better. It's going to help keep the fat in the cells that it's in instead of letting it redistribute to your belly where women get that menopause and yes. belly belly. They don't like that. Some of that is hormonally related. So uh, all of these things, it helps with your sleep, which is going to help the rest of your body because in the absence of estrogen, you start having uh, less REM or rapid eye movement sleep, and so you're not as rested. And, as, uh, and when I do see my patients and when I see them and talk about uh, issues in, like for the menopause coaching that I do, all of those things comes up constantly. These lifestyle things are some of the things that keep them healthy and fit, and they don't know what to do. And so lifestyle, keeping healthy and fit is all part of the estrogen fix story. All right, so now we get to the last chapter, chapter 10, which is talking to your healthcare provider about it. It's one of the hardest things to do, I think, Dr. Mesh, because we, as patients, believe that our gynecologist will proactively talk about it or let us know what we need to know. But that's not the case, is it? No, I mean, for the people that I see, I give an hour for a new patient. Most people are getting about, you know, much less than that. The problem- Oh, I can tell you, it's, it's about 15 minutes and it's the equivalent of a pap smear and how are you doing? Right, so. and the thing about it is, is that it takes time to go through a person's whole story to personalize what it is you're taking. When you go in, if you do have this book, The Estrogen Fix, if you do have it, if you read it, what you'll find is what the North American Menopause Society said is not only recommended for patients, but also for their doctors because of the references. And there's 11 pages of index in the book that can help you find what you want if you don't want to read the whole thing. But you really need to come in proactively and be informed to become a partner in your healthcare. Because if not, you're going to be having somebody who has their own ideas that may be good or bad. And if your doctor is thinking that estrogen is bad for you, you have no chance to get it. I have women that I have seen. I had one patient that came in. She decided she wanted to go to, har to get hormone therapy. She went to a a doctor who went to a really good medical school and graduated but was under this impression of estrogen was bad and she wouldn't give it to her because she said, I don't want to read about you in the obituaries. Oh, geez. So she was frightened to death. You also need personalization on which one of the estrogens is best for you. And I know there's a lot of talk about bioidenticals and I do want to say very briefly that Bioidenticals, it means, is not a real word. It's not a medical word. It's a marketing word. And bioidentical implies that the structure of the hormone is the same as what's made in the body. Bioidentical. But the bioidentical hormones that you get in compounding pharmacies do have some risk to it because in studies that have been done, what we have found is that when a prescription is sent to 12 different compounding pharmacies, and that prescription is filled and sent to a chemical analysis lab, the dosages that are prescribed end up being all different from each other, with estrogen being as much as 80 to 200% higher than what was ordered, and with progesterone being as much as 60 to 80% lower than what was ordered. And this is just because it's very hard on a one-on-one -on -one basis when you're mixing it up one at a time to get it right. 
And it's not that they are making an error. It's that the estrogen is put into a big vat of a cream or something else and stirred up. And just like when you put M&Ms in the vanilla ice cream, some scoops have more and some scoops have less of those M&Ms. And that's the issue. Whereas you can get the same bioidentical hormones in a regular chain store, drugstore, and that's every patch, every one of those sprays, gels, creams is, is FDA approved. The pellets and the ones in compounding are not FDA approved. And therefore, it is what it is. I'm not against them, but your doctor then is going to have to check you carefully. You want to get a baseline evaluation of your uterus, a baseline evaluation of your bones. You've got to have an overview of who you are and then be ready to have a plan that's personalized. And it doesn't end with that visit. You have to come back and see how it goes mm -hmm. in three months or two months and then again. And then once it's more standard and once you're kind of happy, mm -hmm. uh, then you can maintain what you're on. So I'll stop there, but it's very important this this visit. I think it's so important for us to know what we need to get tested. So could you just give us a quick checklist of what are the things I should walk into my gynecologist's office and say, look, I'd like to do a bone density test. What else? You, you mentioned uterine lining test. Tell us a little bit more about what are the tests we should be requesting? It depends. It's a personal thing. It's an individual thing. But generically, you need to have a Test of the uterine lining if you're going to get hormone therapy so you know where you are, so you can see where it is. You might want to get baseline blood levels for your estrogen and your progesterone. You want to check your vitamin D levels. So many women are deficient in vitamin D today, and that's important for bone strength and for muscle strength and for mood and everything. You have to get uh, – a, you will need a uh, – and some type of evaluation of your GI tract. I like to get colonoscopies on people at that point in time. Uh, you mentioned the bone density. Uh, you might need to get a baseline EKG if it's not getting done. Cholesterol levels, check for your diabetes. There's a whole workup uh, depending on the individual. And it just takes time to talk to that woman, to talk to you personally, and then to get what you need and make sure that everything is covered. Absolutely. All right. Any last piece of advice, Dr. Mesh, for someone out there who's suffering from a lot of symptoms and really wants to take charge of her life? What is the one big change she should make starting today? I think the most important thing is to realize women are nurturers. They often nurture everyone else, but they don't take time to nurture themselves. So I just want to say that time spent on you isn't wasted or lost. It's invested. It's invested. And the ROI, the return on your investment, is going to be a healthier and a happier you. And the quality of your life is going to be much greater if you take the time to take care of yourself. Because if you don't do like the airlines say and get the oxygen mask on you first, you can't assist those who are traveling with you. So I would say take the time to understand what you need and then get what you need in order to live healthy, happy, and hormonally balanced. Beautifully said. Listen to Dr. May. She knows what he's talking about. Prioritize your health. If you're getting to those 40s, you need to put your health as a priority. Make a list of things. Read Dr. May's book. The link's going to be available in our show notes. 
and get ready to, to take charge of your health hormonally. And of course, we have the Beat Menopause Boot Camp as well as the Hormone Health Boot Camp. Check out those. They will help you. They're designed by Dr. Mesh. They include very specific recipes, workouts, meditations, supplements to make sure that you are going to have an amazing life. Thank you so much for joining. Dr. Mesh, thank you so much. Rena, it's always great to spend time with you. Be well. Bye-bye. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.